Markets turn and economies crash without warning. Staying ahead of the investment game is more difficult than ever. Join me, Alameen Templeton, every day between 7 and 8 p.m. on Business Matters for concise news and analysis of important events that are shaping the world, your life, and your pocket. You snooze, you lose. This segment proudly brought to you by Capital Air. Oh, I love that Nizam. Alhamdulillah, what a beautiful zikr. A great way to start the day. Well, well, I guess this is also finish of my day, finishing of your day. Ah, what a wonderful way to start the show, alhamdulillah, on this beautiful day of Yom Al-Thalatha, Wednesday. Oh well, uh, the JSE hmm, uh, moving slightly sideways today. Uh, the Iran, however, more than holding its own. Uh, after a strong week last week, it looks as though the currency dealers are taking a bit of a backseat there, letting the currency regain its uh, get a little bit of its, uh, its normal vigor back. And as soon as it's like starting to look as uh, you can, you can, you've pumped it up enough, then you go and you dump and you dump and you dump. So I wonder how long the rand is going to continue on its upward momentum. Mm, yeah, well, that's uh, it's good news for the country shortly before elections, I suppose. Uh, the JSC all share today uh, down 0.25% on 57,838. Uh, the top 40 index uh, heavily weighted towards uh, international indicators, 51,564.09. That's down uh, 0.27%. Well, that's also 0.27% uh, up against the dollar. Uh, it's 0.47% up against the pound of that Brexit vote and uh, Theresa May, one person, one national wrecking ball. Well done, Theresa May. You've done more than ISIS ever good. <laughs> and the euro is on 1586, uh, down a 0.1, well, actually up 0.17%. Uh, yesterday, when we were here, when we were speaking about it, uh, the rand was trading at 14.10 to the dollar. It's 14.07 today. It's an 18.40 to the pound yesterday. It's an 18.35 today. It was a 15.88 yesterday against the euro, and today it's 15.86. So we've made those two or three or five cent gains there. Well, I suppose if you've got millions of rands uh, riding on uh, currency transactions, uh, then it really does make a bit of a difference. It can buy you that free lunch that you've been looking for. Uh, Japanese yen will still buy 13 cents, the Turkish lira 2 rand 47, and the Australian dollar 10 rand 01. So, yeah, uh, we're basically <clears throat> in the same basket as all the other emerging market currencies. I always kind of like uh, find it strange, you know, when people speak about, well, yeah, look, you see what the government has done to the dollar, or the trade unions have gone 
on strike. Look what they're doing to the rand. Or, oh, look what's happening in uh, Bob Mugabe. Oh, they don't have Bob Mugabe anymore. I don't know what the currency dealers are going to do. Um, the new government in Zimbabwe is probably going to find itself uh, being accused of all strange kinds of things. But uh, nevertheless, uh, affecting the value of the rand. Uh, they, it's amazing. The Zimbabwe government can't affect the value of their own Zimbabwe dollar. But when it comes to the rand, it's amazing what they can do with it, isn't it? Huh? Uh, white fear, that's in essence what uh, what determines the value of the rand, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so, yeah, okay, so the all shares looking okay, and the rand's looking okay. Coming up in our show today, Hassan Adams, chairman of Grand Parade Investments, sells 60 million rands worth of shares. What does that say for Grand Parade Investments? Tax comes under the microscope as the illicit economy unit at SARS flexes its muscles. We take a look at who and what it's targeting. Maybe it's you. Could a single law to regulate all state-owned companies get rid of corruption? Well, the Dalla Institute says it can. And uh, we'll be looking at a lot of tax issues uh, coming up in the show, inshallah. We look at pensioners being targeting credit card fraud. It's amazing. It's like a staggering um, 60 70% of credit card fraud currently in South Africa is targeting pensioners. So if you're a pensioner or if you have a parent who's in an old age home, make sure that they don't have a credit card. Uh, Explain to them the dangers and take away the credit card and and give them a debit card uh, because, sure, uh, it really is terrible the way the Western economic system uh, treats the elderly. Volkswagen Financial Services has been ordered to repay a riba. It has been charging customers to cover dealers' add-on expenses. Imagine that. Hmm? Uh, you go and you you got to pay for all the service charges uh, of the bank that you're lending your money from. Then it turns out the bank is actually also expecting you to pick up the tab uh, for the dealers, uh, uh, getting his shoes cleaned and taking his uh, his wife's jacket to the dry cleaners, those kind of things. Well, well, no, it's, it's not that kind of off the book, but but they, these are dealers' expenses that VMW VW has been adding on to. Um, Expecting its clients to pay. It's, it's either VW or the dealer should be paying for it, but nope. Turns out uh, VW, uh, people, if you bought a, a new Volkswagen car using Volkswagen's financial services uh, to raise your money, well, then you, they probably owe you a bit. So you should be contacting them tomorrow and telling them, hey, listen, I've been going through my bill. I want all my money back. Because they're going to have to explain to the government, uh, the national credit regulator, exactly who they've taken money from, how much money that they've taken, and how much money they've given back. All right. So, well, hopefully the government can hold the private sector accountable to the standards that the entire public expects of them. And hopefully, you know, if they get into practice doing it with the private sector, they can start doing it with the government as well. 90,000 jobs in the platinum sector are under threat. Or are they? Well, we'll have a look at that if we have time. Uh, Sibanya wins a massive membership count against AMCU, but can it last? Well, okay, right. Hassan Adams, executive chairman of Grand Parade Investments, sold 60 million rands worth of ordinary shares in the company today. 20 million shares at 3 rand each, according to Sen's statement. Shares at Grand Parade were trading at 2 rand 79 a share at uh, close to 3 o'clock today, up 7.31% on the day. What does that say to you about Grand Parade investors? 
You know, the chairman has suddenly gone and got rid of 60 million rands worth of shares and the share price. Go- well, I mean, you know, it's bought, you know, that looks like increasing demand. <laughs> so maybe Hassan Adams, uh, you, you, you've given Grand Parade a little Philip uh, on the same day. Apparently, it's not all of his shares. He hasn't sold out his shares. He still holds a significant tranche of shares in the company. So don't panic. Uh, it doesn't look as though it's a vote of no confidence in the company, although it's difficult, I must say, on face value not to see it that way. Uh, he uh, has not responded to requests uh, by the media for um, interviews or perhaps explanations. So uh, your guess is as good as mine as to why he suddenly has turned around and sold all his shares. More importantly, people are asking who has he sold his shares to because he warned last year of minority investors attempting to try and take over the company. So it may well be that a former minority investor is no longer a minority investor in the company. Grand Parade <clears throat> holds the master franchise for South African Burger King and has investments in other things in gambling, Grand West Casino, Sun Slots Gaming, Spur and Baskin Robbins. I wonder, maybe maybe Hassan is kind of like trying to sell that bits of the company that invested in the, in the gambling. Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, you've got to do more than that, Hassan. You're still exposed to gambling and it's going to rot your risk. The JSC listed group, however, announced in February that it was parting ways with Dunkin' Donut and Baskin Robbins as they have negatively affected its cash resources. It also has um, a significant burger patty manufacturing and other like food processing things uh, in support of Burger King. So uh, Spur and Baskin uh, Baskin Robbins, I suppose. So, uh, yeah, Um, Rico Friedrich as a portfolio manager at Denga Capital and has investments in GPI on behalf of clients, pointed out that Adams was not president, present at the recent results presentation. Uh, it's clear his absence was noticed, said Friedrich. Uh, his sale of the shares would lead any investor to ask the question of what role he intends to play in the business going forward, and even more importantly, who did he sell the shares to? Uh, well, he's been very mum on that. His office only explained that the shares were sold by Nadison Investments, which is owned by the Nadison Trust, of which Mr. Adams is a major beneficiary. Right, okay. Um, in October last year, he indicated he was determined to ward off what he called a hostile takeover by some minority shareholders. And, well, I kind of wonder, are those minority shareholders still minority? Um, they said they were concerned about governance, poor results, and the departure of several key executives over a period of 18 months. All right, so tax morality can be restored by rooting out state corruption, says Judge Dennis Davis. Uh, he says uh, that the South African Revenue Services... Uh, is basically done everything it can uh, to raise taxes in South Africa, raise VAT by 1% last year, and that was basically letting the horse the, the horse out of the stable. Uh, he, he warned at that stage when they raised the VAT by 1% that there wasn't much left for the government to do. Uh, uh, he's actually suggested uh, that we start uh, uh, a fund, uh, all big businesses in South Africa put 1% of their turnover to it and we can use that to 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 kickstart uh, investment in big projects in South Africa. Under investment, 
uh, in big projects is a major drag on our economic growth. It's one of the reasons why Standard & Poor's today has announced, no, well, we're not going to be upgrading you. You need to have economic growth of 2% uh, and above in order to get an upgrade. So although you have turned around, you are 1.5%, that's not enough. You have to get above 2% for us to give you a change up in the upward direction. And the main reason is because there's no investment in big projects going on. Government did step up to the table 10 years ago, and uh, what with the um, Askisa program and all of these kinds of things, private sector has not responded in kind. And uh, as a result of that, um, the economy is starting to shrink because our big companies are sitting on top of huge, big cash piles and doing nothing with it. Um, so anyway, Judge Dennis Davis says that, you know, um, uh, there is no question that the investigative capacity of SARS, the ability of SARS to enforce the rules, was diminished in the last couple of years. Reinforcing the various centers which were dismantled would create, oh, sorry, forget about that. Uh, and he reckons that you know, uh, corruption is a, is a main reason why people are turning away from paying their taxes. Uh, he says uh, the organization has been under scrutiny for a number of years and people do not trust it anymore. He says, for this reason, the new commissioner uh, must get SARS back to the institution it was, a jewel in the state crown. And then he says, this will make a huge difference to the level of tax integrity. I'll tell you what would uh, make a difference to the, a huge difference to the level of tax integrity. It would be if we didn't have a Nazi judge as the head of our tax commission. Judge Dennis Davis, he is a member of the Jewish Board of Deputies. Yeah, you know, the one that's defending apartheid Israel, Nazi Israel, all the bombings and all the kind of things, the massacres of the Palestinians. These are all just reasonable and um, equitable uh, responses by the Zionist government, according to Dennis Davis. And he is a judge. On uh, A Nazi is a judge uh, in South Africa. Hmm? Judge Dennis Davis. Jewish Board of Deputies. It's really, it turns my stomach to think that a judge can be a member of an organization like that. Clearly, I mean, he, he shares the kind of view of the judge that presided over the Dalmas treason trial back in the 1980s. Uh, it was pointed out to him that he was a member of the Brudermont and that he was asked to recuse himself from the case. And he refused to recuse himself, saying that, uh, in actual fact, the Brudermont is just a cultural organization. So I guess Judge Dennis Davis, being a member of the Jewish Board of Deputies that goes and defends apartheid Israel day after day, week after week, fanatically like any Nazi organization would, the death of Semites. Yeah, Judge Dennis Davis, yeah, that's who he is. And he's a judge in South Africa and he's telling us about tax morality. It really is shocking. Uh, really is shocking. I mean, you know, my um, white compatriots in this country, uh, oh, really, uh, the things that they can make sense of inside their dirty little heads, it really is shocking. During the past financial year, did you know that the South African Revenue Services has made over 20,000 seizures of goods to the value of almost 1 billion rands, including almost 100 million rands worth of contraband cigarettes, almost 1 million counterfeit CDs and DVDs. Sure, they must have been going through Fordsburg and uh, the Lens uh, CBD on a regular basis. Over two tons of hard drugs taken off the streets by SARS in joint operations with other agencies, joint operations. Yeah. 
Oh, someone's making a joke over there. And, and, and this is a government piece, you know. Anyway, over 750,000 pieces of underdeclared or illegal clothing confiscated with 483 million. These and other actions against smugglers resulted in 149 cases being referred to the National Prosecuting Authority for Criminal Prosecution. On the tax side, since April last year, SARS has successfully prosecuted over 230 taxpayers for a range of tax-related offences, bribery and fraud, resulting in a total of 370 years of jail sentences and nearly 5 million rand in fines for those who would try and cheat the fiscus. A further 1,500 tax-related cases are awaiting prosecution. SARS is firmly committed, it says, to upholding its integrity as a world-class tax and customs administration. It says we do not tolerate corruption and strive to entrench our core values in all aspects of our business. Mm. So anyway, they, they um, revived the illicit economy unit, uh, which has said today that uh, they're targeting, like South Africa is losing one trillion rands every year in the illicit economy. I've been going through it. I'm trying to figure out exactly who and where or what is actually accounting for the largest share of that one trillion rand. Unfortunately, in the interview today, it was with 702. Uh, there wasn't a, a clear breakdown of, of what constituted the one trillion rand. Nevertheless, I went on the SARS uh, site and eventually tracked down the illicit economy unit. And this year, well, they're going to be uh, embarking on some drives targeting specific sectors where most of the money is coming from so exactly how much uh, each uh, uh, focus point or focus area of the investigations constitutes the biggest source of loss of funds you will have to make up your own mind i'm afraid uh, they say focus one wealthy south africans and their associated their associated family trusts these can expect, <clears throat> says SARS, substantially more compliance checks and integrated audits, but also more opportunities for upfront engagement and pre-filing agreements. So they let in, they put in uh, the, the, the rich people on watch, so the high net worth individuals. They say, SARS says, research shows that there are some wealthy individuals not registered for tax, and we will use third-party data, including information from financial institutions, credit bureau, and other sources of data, such as residential, holiday homes, aircraft, vehicle, and boat sales, to identify such individuals for registration. So, if you're one of them, mm, mm, I wonder what you should do. I think you should pile everything onto your luxury yacht and just sail out of the country as fast as you can. <laughs> Offshore accounts, oh, that's not going to help. Offshore accounts in tax havens that are used by individuals to avoid tax will be given priority attention. Ah, oh, the Panama Papers have obviously got SARS like getting, uh, running up and down. Using international cooperation agreements, hopefully Steinhoff is going to be part of this. Hopefully uh, that Vickers guy, the, um, the head of Steinhoff, um, is going to be one of those who's coming under the microscope. Uh, SARS says they have around 2,300 wealthy individuals on register. Mm. So there's actually a register of these people. I mean, uh, do you have to apply to be uh, included on the register? And is there like um, maybe at uh, like the, the Houghton Country Club or something? There's like there's the discreet members room. You can go into the members room and there... There is the official SARS, the South African Tax Revenue Services People's List, the honours roll of the 2,300 wealthy individuals on the register. Mm, do you have to apply for membership, I wonder, or is it automatic?
this group of taxpayers, says SARS, is a significant contributor to the fiscus, with wealthy individuals contributing an average of 1.7 million rand each to tax annually. Hmm. 1.7 million rands. And they are, they should be paying more, definitely. Our preliminary sampling, preliminary sampling exercise has shown that under-declaration of income is an area of concern when individuals declared income is not consistent with their tax asset base. To date, 467 potential wealthy individuals have been identified where there are discrepancies between their asset base and declared income, and they can expect much more closer scrutiny from the taxman. Wealthy individuals are also generally linked to a number of trusts and companies, some of which are used as vehicles to channel and hide their assets and income. Most of the wealthy South Africans SARS has reviewed are linked to more than 10 associated companies on average, and 87% of these associated companies and 59% of trusts have outstanding returns. Mm. A total of 67% of audits conducted into trusts shows serious underreporting, and that's far higher than the corporate uh, tax. Um, corporations, uh, they found, uh, um, they've got like sort of uh, um, 87%. Yeah, well, corporate tax is 60%. Um, outstanding returns, whereas trusts have an average of 87%. That's like nearly 90%. That's nearly everything. Goodness gracious me. So, yeah, yeah, trust to come under the scrutiny. Very good. Very, very, very good. Main misdemeanors that they're going to be focusing on are fringe benefits not being declared, input VAT claimed without declaring VAT on trade income, Artificial losses and deductions. Oh, you know, I had that robbery and they took away my diamond ring and left everything else behind. Salary restructuring, assets and income diverted through associated entities, incorrect declaration of revenue profit as capital in nature. Mm. Okay, so those are going to be focusing on large businesses and transfer pricing. Now, this is a little bit of a complicated aspect in law. Not really that complicated in actual fact. It's uh, just dressed up in the kind of like terminology that uh, accountants and boring people like that without real ambition in life. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I do know some very nice accountants. Most of them are locked up and in jail, uh, but I do know some nice accountants. Okay, large businesses and transfer pricing. Now, this is, you know, like say Anglo-American, for instance. Uh, it's got uh, companies all over the world. And uh, it suddenly discovers that there's some uh, gold deposits in some volcanoes in Papua New Guinea. And it decides that, yeah, some of its old mines in South Africa are underperforming. And it's got capital equipment that is just standing around doing nothing. So it chucks all of those cuckoo pans and um, those drills and uh, the jackhammers and uh, railway sleepers and railway lines and railway engines, all kinds of things onto other railway trains. And they ship them out of the country. Then, uh, now when it's going out of the country, that means money is going out of the country. So that means that uh, the taxman wants to have a bite of it. So Anglo-American then says to itself, well, you know, uh, how much are we going to say that this capital equipment is worth? The more we say its value is, the more tax we're going to have to pay. 
So then you can see that there's always a temptation by that company to undervalue the nature of uh, services and goods that it distributes between its subsidiaries internationally and locally. And uh, as a result, the taxman will be getting less income. So uh, the way the international tax rules work is that when you transfer things, assets, whatever, uh, between subsidiaries, then you have to charge the same price as you would with a third party. So, uh, you know, so basically the market price is the price that you have to charge yourself. It sounds like a bit, a bit unfair, don't you think? But anyway, that's the way it is. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, transfers like this can, uh, can get in a whole lot of money. Uh, I, I was kind of like suspecting that this was the main, um, the main source of revenue loss for the South African Revenue Services. But then they said that in actual fact it's not too bad. So they said most large companies are in actual fact uh, compliant. So anyway, there you go. So, um, okay, so you can say, okay, trillion rand leaving the country. Uh, is that the rich, wealthy individuals? Uh, well, there's only like, you know, 2,300 of them, and if they only pay an average of 1.7 million rands of tax each, that's 2,300 times 1.7 million. Um, that's 2.3, uh, 3, 3.4 billion rand. You see? That's 3.4 billion rand. Well, that's the amount that they're paying, I suppose, uh, whereas they should be paying 3.4 trillion rands. No. No, you know, see, the, the, the 2,300 rich people are not enough to make up that 1 trillion rand. Like, as we say, we do our sums here, and um, uh, they come up to 3.4 billion rands. That's a very, 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 very far distance away from 1 trillion rands. You know, a trillion rand is 1,000 billion, so you've still got to get, like, nine, uh, 996,600 billion rands in order to uh, make up the deficit. So it's not coming from the rich people. It's not coming from the big companies with their, um, with their transfer pricing and cheating on transfer pricing. Uh, it says here, large corporates are generally compliant, although there is room for improvement. 38% of corporate income tax payments are late. 26% of corporate income tax returns are filed late, and our VAT audit show up to 60% reporting inaccuracy. One gets a feeling that they're actually going to be going after the small guys. Their VAT officials are actually going to be coming down on the little guys. The main disdemeanors, uh, they say, in terms of large businesses, tax avoidance structures that in inflate deductions through circular flows of money, uh, audits of corporates on a group level where one of the focus areas will be on the change in the nature of income from taxable to non-taxable income for purposes of tax avoidance or to reduce their group tax liability. Uh, modernization of the management of the payment of provisional payments, uh, movement from post-filing return examination, to, uh, I don't know what that means, uh, the development of forward compliance agreements, advanced rulings, advanced pricing agreements and pre-filing agreements. Right, so if a company wants to like transfer stuff internationally, they're going to have to go and get the cooperation of SARS because they don't get pre-agreements on the, the value of the assets that they're transferring or the goods and services that they're transferring. Then SARS is basically going to sit on their application. You know, come to the date and you transfer things, you send off your slip to SARS and suddenly, boom, everything sits still. 
you go on your question, sides and sizes, we disagree with these valuations. Then you've got to go through the whole process from all over. So basically, SARS is telling you, if you're going to be transferring assets or services between subsidiaries, then you must first get an agreement with us as to what the value of these goods and services are. All right, a bit more on this uh, when we come back after this quick commercial break. Marukh Sahaba, the voice, the voice of Ahlul Sunnah Jama'ah. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back. Well, if you want to make a tax confession on air, or if you've got some other views on uh, the issues we're discussing, or even uh, issues off topic, as long as on business, uh, give us a call. Our number here in Lanesia is 010-0011-004. Or you can WhatsApp us if you're a little shy, or perhaps um, you're running low on data or airtime or something like that. Uh, our WhatsApp number here is 084-786-3132. 084-786-3132. All right, getting back to what we were talking about beforehand, tax dodges. And the tax man has announced he's going to be sending his illicit economy unit after you. Mm. Yeah, all right. Well, now it would appear that in actual fact, uh, the main miscreant in everything here is in the construction sector. So if you're a contractor in construction, you better be getting your books in order this year because it is in the subcontracting aspect of construction that SARS says a lot of nonsense is happening. SARS says our research has shown that compliance within the construction sector is low. We intend to conduct extensive compliance checks and integrated audits in this industry with a particular focus on individuals and entities that are awarded government tenders. Mm. You know, you know, on this issue regarding government tenders, uh, eligibility for government tenders uh, is you have to be tax compliant in order to get a government tender. You go through any of the Jobbik metros, anything like that, you must be tax compliant. Well, I, like, I don't have a tax company. I don't have a company. Uh, so uh, it's, it's not really a worry for me. Um, but I was actually arguing with some guys from the Joburg Metro's uh, economics unit a few years ago saying, listen, this isn't the way to go about it. You want people to go and register and form companies and all of that. And uh, in fact, uh, you know, uh, metros all around South Africa have embarked on these drives of the last uh, few years uh, where they'll actually buy your capital equipment for you. You know, you want to you want to get a government tender to cut grass. They'll buy the lawnmowers for you. Yeah, you will get a loan from them, a low interest loan in order to to buy all of this equipment for you. Very nice. It's a very nice deal. But now, apparently, the uh, reaction has been very, very muted. I suspect, on the one hand, that in actual fact, um, the Metro employees have been grabbing the benefits for themselves. I mean, you know, uh, grass-cutting contracts are being signed, but grass is not being cut. That means that the municipal manager is signing off um, accounts every month without the work having been done. And usually the only way you can get that done is by paying the municipal manager a certain little fee. Mm. And it would appear that with the lousy grass cutting uh, in Johannesburg under the DA that it's still going on. I mean, there's long grass all over the place in Johannesburg. So what is happening with these things? Mm. 
Doesn't look as though the green Heaven uh, Mashaba's broom is sweeping all that clean. Uh, but, well, one of the ways in which you can get com- people to register companies is by saying, okay, you don't have to be tax compliant in order to, uh, in order to qualify for these tenders. However, a certain amount of the tender amount will be subtracted to pay for the tax that is outstanding. Immediately, SARS would suddenly discover a whole lot of people are coming forward and registering companies and you're registering tax compliance, getting their tax numbers and all of these kinds of things. Plus, there's going to be a whole lot of money coming from the government tender revenue stream going straight into stars and getting straight back to government. Uh, why, not, why not try that? I, 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 you know, you, you, you say to any of these, um, you know, born-in-a-book uh, economist types that uh, have a spine made out of plastic and glue uh, that, uh, you know, well, why not? Why do you insist that uh, they have to be tax compliant in order to qualify for a tender? Why not? If they're not tax compliant, you will subtract 45% of the tender price. Will they still go for the tender? Maybe. There will be some who will. Or yeah, maybe 45% is too high. 25%. Just like that. And and then they have to go and get registered, and they you get notified by SARS that this company uh, that was not tax compliant and is moving into tax compliance. Then you have to go and you get and you have the whole notification thing. Look, as far as I'm concerned, you will get people who will want those tenders, and they will go for those tenders, and they'll go for those tenders and give SARS its bite. But uh, the, the idea sank like a lead balloon, I suppose you could say. Uh, but anyway, that's just my little um, 10 cents worth. Uh, according to uh, SARS, they intend to conduct extensive compliance checks and integrated audits in the construction industry with a particular focus on individuals ah, and entities that are awarded government tenders. These individuals and entities have the responsibility to maintain healthy tax compliance, especially in the light, in the fact of the light, uh, in the light of the fact that they are remunerated by public funding. Filing, declaration, and payment behavior will be a focus for corporate income tax, VAT, and PAYE. Yeah, that really gets me, you know, as an employee of a company a few years ago, the company went bust and it turned out they hadn't paid our PAYE over. Wow, boy, did that uh, make people irate. There will be a particular focus on contractors and various levels of subcontractors involved in paving, decoration, plumbing, heating and ventilation, and sealing and floors. That under declaration in the construction industry is of serious concern, where almost 70% of audited cases reveal incorrect disclosures. Oh, boy, yeah. All right, so the builders, mm, Uncle Dawood, yeah, yeah, they're in Greenside. Mm. You must watch these things. Go make sure your books are all in order. We will focus on PAYE and corporate income tax, says SARS, where audited cases show under declaration of 50% and 61% respectively. Wow. So, PAYE, pay as you earn. Their employees, they take the tax off. But then instead of paying it over to SARS, they keep it. Now, what happens to those employees? Mm. 50% of cases in the construction sector, half of all the companies that they look at, 
haven't handed the PAYE over. And more than 61% are holding on to the VAT. This is in the construction sector. In terms of filing behavior, 64% of corporate income tax returns are not filed on time, while 36% of VAT returns and 28% of PAYE returns are not filed on time. Uh, Over half of payments of corporate income tax and VAT are made late. Uh, uh, SARS assessment suggests that the biggest risks lie in the small and medium business segments. You see, small guys. These are guys who are supposed to be, uh, you know, responsible for employment and all of that kind of thing. The small guys are going to get the hammer. Ah, boy. Mm. SARS says they've also seen substantially higher rates of noncompliance among self-employed individuals. Well, that's because most self-employed individuals in the construction sector are really struggling to get by, let alone, uh, you know, earn enough money to be valid for paying tax. Sustainability, they say that they're going to be focusing on creating a sustainable improvement in compliance levels in the construction industry. Well, if you ask me, what they should be uh, focusing on is trying to uh, focus on making the construction industry sustainable, just the industry in itself, because Group 5 has gone down, Basil Reed went down uh, last year, um, and uh, there's several others that are really in serious trouble. A lot of debt on board, a lot of uh, capital equipment uh, sitting idle in the parking lot, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So and uh, and now they're going to be putting uh, builders under even greater pressure. I'm sure there can be plenty of builders out there saying, "Yeah, you go, Alamine, you tell them." Um, anyway, well, I must say, you know, some builders. Mm-hmm. They should be shot on sight. As soon as they step on a building site, you could shove them into a case of concrete cement and never allow them to utter another word in their lives. Anyone who's like done some home renovations knows exactly what I'm talking about. Introducing an early contact strategy with non-compliant taxpayers is a means of ensuring that unexpected tax debts do not threaten ongoing viability, says the taxman. So they're going to be helping a whole lot of things. They're going to make use of agency appointments to recover outstanding debts. Yeah, construction sector, be very, very scared. Um, yeah, okay, so we're not going to go into too much there. Illicit cigarettes, another source of the illicit economy. Uh, but gold leaf, you can relax because it doesn't seem as though any of this, uh, any of the problems that they say is like cigarette smuggling via warehouses, diversion of cigarettes destined for export back into the local market. You see, you don't pay local taxes for cigarettes you're import, exporting. So then instead of exporting, you just go and sell them on the local market. Uh. Also plan to modernize the warehousing management and acquittal system. All right, so that's illicit cigarettes. But to the gold leaf guys, uh, who are basically you know, accused of evading tax by selling the cigarettes so cheaply, it's the most ridiculous argument I've ever heard. Only, only business reporters, people who call themselves business journalists in South Africa, could actually fall for something like that. There have been like, the, 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 many instances where the business, business journalism actually really sticks a knife in the back of its readers. And it does so without any any shame. It's like when the Medicines Control Pricing Act came in in 1997. Um, That was corporate South Africa just banding together and saying, listen, we're not going to allow any of this stuff. Price controls are coming into South Africa. Uh -uh." They all banded together, and uh, that legislation went nowhere. Well, Vuyan Gowana will disagree with me, and he'll say, no, no, what in actual fact, you know, and Kosazana Dlamini Zuma, was just uh, far too belligerent in the way that you pushed this uh, act forward. But I would argue that in fact that belligerence was necessary in the face of uh, white corporatism in South Africa. 
Nevertheless, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's why I reckon Vyan Gowana should be the president of the country because if he could stand up to Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma and uh, not end up with 50,000 white hairs on his head, well, then he's a man who can probably run the country as well. So, Vyani, if you're listening, come on, man. Go and register to be president of the country. It's about time. Second Jala can now go, bra. Main interventions, increasing supervision of cigarettes exported from warehouses. Uh, that's what SARS is going to do to crack down on uh, illicit uh, cigarettes. Uh, to improve the manual tracking of cigarettes in transit through South Africa and ensure that the declared quantities are accounted for at both points of entry and exit. That's so you can't say that you're going to export these cigarettes and then you don't. Collaboration with tobacco industry experts to develop a set of targeted risk criteria to detect illicit cigarettes. Improve authentication markings on cigarettes to enable identification of legal cigarettes. Ah, uh, you know, how many times have I been trying this, you know? Mm-hmm. DVDs and all this funny, you get those little hologram uh, reflective little stickers. You know, um, and it isn't like there's a national a national database that the public goes at the beginning of every day to see what are the genuine hologram stickers looking like today. You know, um, guys can just put any kind of flashy little silver sticker on this thing and say, there, you see, it's genuine cigarettes. How are you going to know? No, they changed the they changed the sticker last year. Soon you got one sticker that everyone knows, and it's easy to counterfeit. So I don't know if that's really going to help. Uh, they all sides is also going to intensify retail cigarette inspections. So they're going to come round to your spaza shop around the corner with a com- complimentary review of legislation to ensure that punitive action is sufficiently discouraging to wholesalers and retailers. Gee, shame, man! All of those, all of those Somali and Bangladeshi brothers. You know, you know the reason why people in the times would get very angry about uh, uh, the Muslim, the Muslim uh, traders there, is because the Muslim traders come in and they start selling stuff cheaper than anyone else can. So anyone else has got a little spaza shop suddenly finds that in actual fact no one's going to come to the spaza shop because they go to the spaza shop in the corner, because you see that guy who's inside that little spaza shop, he doesn't own that shop. It's not his shop. He just got off the boat or he fell out of the, the, the wheel well of the local jumbo as it landed at uh, Oatambo Airport. Uh, he rolled along the tarmac, was blown away because he's so skinny and light, right over the fence, and he ended up into Corsa. And uh, he opened up a spaza shop. No, that's not how it happened. That's not how it happens. He does. He gets blown over the fence. He lands in a gut and he's starving to death. Uh, he goes to his local mosque and he's told, okay, look, you know, we've got a little spaza shop here in the suburb. We're going to put you in there. Because you see, they've really moved into Lanasia's extension too lately. Um, and uh, anyone who's got a spaza shop in extension too is now suddenly struggling. Uh, your only real choice is uh, you just hand your spaza shop over to the guys that put the guys in the shop. Because now you see what's happening is the guy that's putting the guys in the shops, that guy, he's the one that's making the money. You see, he is getting discounts on bulk buying and he's got a distribution system and he sends to the, or rather he doesn't have a distribution system. Those spaza shop operators, they have to come to him and collect their stuff at their own expense and take it back. Yeah. That's how it happens. Uh, so when, uh, you know, the township guys become irate and this isn't fair, and then they go and they burn down the shop and they burn down the spaza shop operator, they're burning down the wrong guy. It's not doing any good. What people in townships with spaza shops should be doing, they should be banding together and they should be engaging in bulk buying, just like the, 
the Tea Room and Tea Shop Association uh, of the Transvaal used to do in the 1980s. Get together. Cooperate. Come on. Go and meet a few spaza shop owners from your suburb. Get together and say, okay, what do we buy every month? Let's go and get discounts on these things and get the people, because basically we're not really competing against each other. We're competing against checkers. We're competing against pick and pay. Um, we're not competing against each other. What we've got on our side is convenience. They've got real convenience stores. These are convenience stores. You're selling convenience. That means that, okay, so you've got all the same discounts and you can't really compete on selling Millipop and milk and bread, matches and, um, you know, uh, what, what they call them, Uzis or, or Chupas. Uh, Choria. Yeah. Mm. Uh, my, my, my wife and I, we, we, we make chupas and sell lemon chupas and lemon choria chupas. We sell, we sell gravies, which are the little chips. You get like big bags of chips and you, you uh, repackage them into small little packets and sell them off. That's an easy way of uh, just getting a little bit of uh, pocket money on the side. Also, I must say, it really is a great way to introduce the children to very basic uh, economic and business concepts. You want to wake your children up, start selling chupas from home. You get into manufacturing processes. You get into accounting processes. How much stock do you have on hand? Um, how much stock is ready for sale? Uh, how much uh, raw, raw supplies have you got in your cupboard? Um, what is uh, the total tie-up of all your money in the whole process? How much money is coming in? Uh, wh what is the correct pricing for your products? You want to do um, product um, product development and so on. Oh, yeah, they really like the the guava and uh, choria flavor. Uh, but uh, the lemon and choria flavor is also a big one. Uh, Bubblegum, ooh, they love that flavor. They like uh, they like um, the cream soda. And you, you get to know, you know, you've got to do um, customer satisfaction and all of these customer service, all of that kind of thing, keeping books at the end of the month. You get your children, you'll be amazed at how enthusiastic your children will be for this business because, of course, all of the people coming to do the buying are other children. So your children are meeting other children. Everyone's getting to know each other. And, uh, and your children are earning money and getting business skills at the same time. So really, if you want your children to pick up business skills at an early age, start selling chupas out of your house. Uh, for those who don't know what a chupa is, uh, it's basically a little plastic bag uh, that's, got some, um, that's got some fruit flavored water in it. Uh, Indians being uh, the way they are, I've got to chuck masala into these things. So uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's actually a whole mini economy in South Africa that runs off these things. Everyone who knows Rago's in, uh, in Lanesia, um, they're just next door to Extension 2. Uh, you go and you go and buy those big bags full of chips, you know, the big tubular bags. You see the aunties who uh, carry them on their shoulders on the backs of buckies and so on, being taken into townships. That's what they're doing. Um, but I don't think they have chupas in, um, in the townships. Uh, they, I, I doubt they have lemon flavor and choria flavor chupas. Uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, maybe this is a way the Indian community could interact with Soweto or something like that. Or maybe we could start a chupa university or something. It would be a really great way of, um, of uh, you know, chupa business school.
Uh, you you bring children uh, during the holidays and you teach them how to make chupas. You get Ragos and the sweet manufacturers. You get DB here in Lanasia. Um, you know, selling diabetes to the country. Yeah, no, seriously, um, it's a great way. I really, I'm, I'm uh, really astounded at the way the children in my household have like really taken to the selling of the chupas and the way they defend it. And uh, you know, they count and you know, every time they they're taking a bag. Oh, you know, and I'm, I'm just taking one, just taking one, just lending one. All right, okay. So that's um, have we have we done enough on the tax system? Illicit cigarettes are main focus. Undervaluation of import in the clothing and textile industry. I know that there's a lot of people listening to this show who are involved in this. I'm not saying involved in tax dodging, but you're involved in the imports in the clothing and textile industry. Yeah. Undervalued imports pose a significant risk not only to the fiscus but to local industry and job creation. SARS says it will continue to work together with other government agencies and industry stakeholders to clamp down on this practice, including through the establishment and frequent revision of a reference pricing database to detect undervaluation, increasing inspections, as well as supporting an integrated border management model. Mm, yeah, well, I wonder how they're going to do that. Um, our compliance activities will focus on the introduction of a reference pricing database as a mechanism to identify undervaluation of imports for certain products, constantly seeking to identify systematic solutions to gaps in the clothing and textile value chain as it relates to imports, exports, and manufacturing activities under rebate. That's the rebate, or that's government-supported manufacturing. Increasing in the number of inspections at border posts. Mm. Customs modernization, they're going to be supporting a seamless transition to an integrated border management model. Oh, this sounds a bit like uh, uh, Theresa May's Brexit uh, promises. Continually enhancing the refinery of the preferred trader program integration into international authorized economic operator program, who looks at the entire supply chain from end to end. Increasing non-intrusive inspection capabilities. Ooh. Pursuing a, a common customs working philosophy across Africa, that is something that is sorely needed. And a draft customs control bill proposing clauses on dealing with undervaluation. So obviously it's not been punished hard enough, so they're going to be introducing fines and so on. But they're not there yet, so quickly, go and import as much as you can now. Come now, now. Tax practitioners and trade intermediaries, uh, they're going to be regulating them in a closer, on a closer business, but small business. Okay. Registration in this segment is low. A taxman says they'll be conducting registration drives with other agencies. Abuse of VAT is a problem. Over the years, governments have taken many steps towards alleviating the burden on small businesses and assisting them to migrate to normal income tax system. Some of these initiatives have been a lower tax rate structure, capital gains, tax relief, and enhanced depreciation for small business corporations introduced in 2001. Okay, so it's been 18 dry years since then. Small businesses with a payroll of less than 500,000 were exempted from the skills development levy from 2005. Okay, well, that was something that they didn't have before, and then afterwards they still didn't have it. So, okay, so that didn't really change much for them. The small business amnesty was launched in 2006, which waived taxes, penalties, and interest potentially payable by small businesses. Uh, 
does that still continue? They don't say so. A presumptive turnover tax was introduced in 2008 as an alternative to income tax and VAT for businesses with turnover of less than 1 million rand. The VAT registration level was raised from 300,000 to 1 million rand to reduce paperwork. In 2010, small businesses as well as other taxpayers had the opportunity to disclose and pay under-declared tax liabilities at reduced interest charge without penalty in the voluntary disclosure program. Oh, that's only, that's only for one year. From 2012, the tax-free threshold for small business corporations increased to 63,556. 10% tax rate is all right, so right. Qualified micro-businesses will also be able to pay turnover tax VAT and employers tax twice a year. Yeah, it's not much coming from the tax man, is it? Mm. Yeah, and being, it's been quite dry. I don't think the tax man has got a lot of friends in the small business sector. Uh, all right. Got a few minutes. The Dilla Omar Institute has released a new study and report that fingers confusing legislation as a key enabler of state capture at South Africa's state-owned uh, entities that are very troubled. And calls for a state-owned enterprises act, one state-owned enterprises act. Like, for instance, now you've got the ESCOM Act. You've got the ESCOM and subsidiaries uh, translated related transactions act. And like, you know, there's five acts related to ESCOM. Wits University has got its own legislation. Did you know? Cape Town University has its own legislation. But these aren't government-owned entities. But just showing you the creatures of legislation, all state-owned enterprises, whether it's Transnet or the Nuclear Energy Corporation, uh, whether it's a, a NURSA or anything, they have to be created by statute and by law. Uh, but then usually there's like three or four laws for like NURSA and there's three or four laws for ESCOM and there's three or four laws for Telcom and so on. And so what the Dula Umma Institute is saying, we just want one law for all of them, a standard law. And once it's standardized, you'll be able to crack down on the, on the corruption because the people are slipping in between the cracks. Get rid of the cracks, you get rid of the corruption. Well, Dula Uma, in your memory, may Allah Ta'ala illuminate you on your cover with nur. May I forgive you for all your sins. May I turn your sins into virtues and raise you on the day of Qiyamah with your face shining like the full moon, with a crown upon your head and the finest of clothing. May I raise you up beneath the shade of his arsh. May you sit on raised platforms amidst the best of companions, eating the best of foods. And may you enter genital fiddles without any reckoning across the pool sirat with the speed of lightning. Jazakumullah for joining us. Uh, make dua that whatever trade and activity you got up to today has been profitable and above all halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allah, 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 Allah,